0: welcome to episode number 132 of the pioneering today podcast today we are diving in deep to the world of perennials how to increase your food production on the homestead with less hands-on time plants and options for both your garden and your landscaping even if you don't have very much room for either of those I'm your host, Melissa K. Norris, and here on the Pioneering Today podcast, we teach and share tips for families on how to grow, preserve, and cook your own food using old-fashioned skill sets and wisdom to create a natural, self-sufficient home with or without the full-on homestead. For additional resources and links to anything that we talk about on the podcast, you can always find those in the full blog post that accompanies every single episode. To find that, you can go to melissaknorris.com 132 because this is episode number 132, or you can go to the podcast page and you'll find every episode listed chronologically ordered there for you. Today's episode is brought to you as well by my book, The Made from Scratch Life Simple Ways to Create a Natural Home. If you have the book, this is the perfect time of year to go back to the Grow chapter and access the chart that you have in there for starting all of your seeds and making your plan of action on when you're going to be planting outdoors. So it gives you a chart, breaks down if you need to start it indoors, when to start your seeds indoors, or when to put them outside, or when to sow outside if you're using direct seeds. So all of those charts and more are in the Made From Scratch Life, and you're going to want to remember to get your bonuses. You can find all of this information, how to order the book, what's in there, and to access your bonuses at madefromscratchlife.com slash bonuses. Now, even if you've already purchased the book, you might not have known that there were amazing bonuses there for you. So if you've already purchased the book, go ahead and go to that bonus page. Again, the link will be for you in the show notes as well. And if you haven't purchased the book, you're going to want to go and check it out because there are some pretty amazing bonuses. And as I said, just the chart alone that I'm talking about is going to really give you some action plans and help you out. Plus, I love my podcast. You guys, I'm a total podcast junkie. I listen to a lot of podcasts, but there's something special about having a physical book for me to reference to and to really dive into a subject matter. All right, let's dive into today's episode. One of my goals with the podcast this year was to take you guys really. Through season by season and kind of timely as we do things here on the homestead, and then give you those best tips and tricks or best practices or strategies that I've discovered along the way or things that we're using right now that seem to be working really well. So, at the time of this recording, it is the very first of March. So, we are moving right along into spring here on the homestead and kind of the last time we really took this dive was right at the beginning of January, two months ago, and that is episode number 124, that was how to plan your best garden and harvest for a year's worth of food. Hopefully, you have already went through the awesome downloads and freebies that we have on that episode, and you've done your homework. We will be seed starting here next week, but one of the things this time of year Not only are we thinking about our annual vegetable garden and seed starting for all of those vegetables that we're going to be putting in, but I think it's also really good to never have, I'm going to give you one of those proverbial sayings, all your eggs in one basket. So when it comes to food production, I like us to have a lot of different variables so that we're not really relying on just one harvest time or just one like a large vegetable garden for all of our food. I like it to be more diverse, and that helps on multiple reasons. That's what we're going to be talking about in today's episode. There's three main categories, so to speak, that we put a plant into based on its type of life cycle. One of those that you're going to be familiar with is an annual. People refer to an annual type plant or vegetable It means that the plant grows from a seed, produces its fruit, and then it goes to seed and dies all in one season or one year. This is where most of your summer vegetable crops fall and are referred to as annuals. So think things like corn, beans, summer and winter squash, lettuce, anything that we plant from a seed, we get our complete harvest off of it. And then it also produces the seed that will harvest right there to plant for the next year. Now, sometimes you're going to have some annuals that will scatter seeds and they will pop up the next year as a volunteer. But we don't typically, typically speaking, unless you plant your vegetable garden, it's not going to magically reappear for you next year. Every now and then you're gonna get lucky enough to maybe have a few volunteers, but it's not the typical thing. So that's what we're referring to when we talk about annuals or in regards to plant types and varieties. Now, next up within this list, you've got biennials. This is what we refer to, when a plant is in this category, what that means is it grows, and the first year it's going to produce a lot of leaves. But it doesn't bloom and produce its seeds until the second year. The second year is when you get your seeds and that is the plant's way of reproducing to ensure that it creates more plants, right? And it keeps its species going and then the plant dies. So your annual does it all in one season, one year. Biennial, it takes it two years. This is really true for a lot of flowers. Foxglove, which is not an edible plant plant. Foxglove actually, digitalis, is where we get heart medication from. So it's not an edible. But Foxglove does that. You'll first see the leaves come up and then the second year you'll get the really pretty blooms and they are one of my favorite old-fashioned beautiful flowers. They grow just naturally here on our homestead. They're a plant that grows here. So luckily enough we'll get them just kind of they'll pop up everywhere. And when they come up in the flower beds, I just let them grow and do their thing. But This is also true in our garden. So some examples of this, and a lot of people don't realize these are actually biennial plants because most people from this category of plants, or I should say not necessarily most people, but more people are still purchasing these seeds from the store and planting them rather than letting them go into the second year and gathering the seeds on them to replant on their own. And that is going to be carrots, celery, garlic, onion, and most of your brassica family, so cabbage, Brussels sprouts, broccoli, cauliflower, all of those. Usually what happens with biennial vegetables is we eat from it on the first year because it produces the part that we're eating. And then we don't seed seed from them. Most of the time they're treated as annuals, but they're really actually biennials. And every now and then, like I will have, if you plant, especially with your onions occasionally if i plant the onions really early in the spring and we get a bit of an extended growing season there have been a few times where i have actually they have sent up a blossom and i've got the blossom and i was able to let it go and i could get seed from it that's not normally the case but sometimes you'll see this happen within one season and not two but generally speaking it's going to be a two-year process. Third up within this categorization of plants are your perennials. These are the plants that you plant once and provide a disease or some other kind of catastrophic event in the gardening world doesn't happen. They will live and keep producing flowers, which in regards to our fruit, those flowers, the blossoms, is what turns into the edible part that we get to eat for our fruit and our berries. But they will keep producing this harvest for us year after year after year. Some live decades or even longer when they're cared for properly. There's some vegetables that are perennials too. The most common that we think of or know where many people will grow are going to be your asparagus, your rhubarb, and a lot of your herbs. So lavender, mint, oregano, and thyme. A lot of these things we plant once, then they just come back year after year after year, and we just get the benefit of getting to harvest them. Depending upon your climate and your growing season, some people can't grow a plant as a perennial. The plant may be a true perennial, but if you've got a really cold winter, it's a plant that's a more of a warm climate plant. You can grow it, but you can only grow it as an annual. So you're going to have to replant it every single year in order to grow it. And so sometimes you will treat an annual, I mean, you excuse me, you will treat a perennial as an annual in order to still get that crop. So here where I live in the Pacific Northwest, tomatoes. I have to plant my tomatoes every single year. There is no way that they're going to survive our winters and come back. And interestingly enough, this used to be the case for me with rosemary. I could never get my rosemary to winter over, but that is not the case anymore. So I'm going to go ahead and share that tip with you. We live, for those of you who are new or don't know, I live in Washington State, up in the foothills of the Cascade Mountain Range, and we are gardening zone seven, which means I can put my warm weather stuff out about mid-May, and then by mid-end of September, I'm getting frost, so it's a relatively short growing season, not as short as some. But rosemary, when it was planted out in the regular vegetable garden, in the ground, It died every single year. So for about three or four years in a row, I'd put rosemary in. It would be growing great. It would get cold. And then come springtime, it just never came back. It was dead. My workaround is to put it in a large container. So I now have a large container black colored container that I plant my herbs in and it's on the sunniest part of our property, our southern exposure, our back deck. So not only does it get the most sunlight that we do get, but I put it in black because that is going to naturally get warmer, right? And I've got it tucked up against our back deck, which is a covered back deck. So that is the very warmest and usually most sheltered spot that I have available on our homestead. And since I have done that with our rosemary, my rosemary plant is now going on five years old and has made it through every single winter, even when we're down in you know heavy snow. Overnight temperatures can sometimes be down in those low teens. We rarely hit single digits. It does happen every now and then. It's usually not for a prolonged period of time. I share that with you in case you had my rosemary woes. That is how I've been able to keep my rosemary a true perennial and not an annual crop. Sometimes you can just do a little bit of finagling, so to speak, and with just a little bit of extra care, you'll be able to take some of those plants that were supposed to be perennials but died on you. Why are we bringing up these different types of plants or crops? Because I think when it comes to your food production, It's really important to have all three varieties and in the late winter or early spring, depending upon your seasons, obviously at the time of this recording, if you are still covered in a foot or two foot of snow or the ground is just frozen really, really hard, then you're going to have to wait a few more weeks, hopefully just a few more weeks. But here in the Pacific Northwest, come March, we are going to be able to start putting out new perennials. Now, every year it varies a little bit. Last week, we actually had a foot of snow that came but it's already all melted and gone now for the most part. Perennials are a great addition to use in both landscaping and your food crops. And a lot of times they'll kind of do double duty so you can use them as both. And I love that. I love things that serve more than one purpose. The great thing about a perennial, though, is they don't generally require nearly the amount of work that an annual and a biennial counterpart do. So, the best time of year to plant your perennials, as I just talked about, and this is especially true when it comes to things like your fruit trees and your fruit bearing bushes and your plants that are going to be the bare root option. So what I mean is they are not in soil coming in like a large potted plant, but when you go and purchase them, it's actually, you see the bare roots. The good news is when you purchase a plant bare root, you are usually going to get them cheaper because there's not all that soil and they're not in a big plant and it's easier for them to be transported and planted. One of the rules of thumb is if you're unsure if it's time in your area to be planting the bare root plants yet or to be putting these in, is local nurseries, even your big box stores, but really your independent local nurseries are where I like to go if at all possible, but they will start having this these this stock, you'll see it out ready for you to purchase, which means for your area, generally that it's time for you to go ahead and plant that. Usually they don't put the things out that you can't plant yet. But like I said, the end of winter, early spring, even into mid spring, what our goal is when we're putting perennials in, things that are going to be coming back every year is to get them in the ground and growing before they come out of their complete dormancy. We don't want to be putting those bare roots stock in if at all possible, and this is true too if you're looking to transplant or to move any type of these trees. So if you need to move your fruit trees, maybe you're able to get some fruit bushes from somebody who doesn't want them anymore or in the case of things like raspberry canes or different plants like that, for whatever reason they need them gone and you're able to get them, you can totally transplant even large fruit trees now the larger the fruit tree the larger or more mature the plant is in some cases you may have to have equipment in order to transplant it but we've used had neighbors and family members have backhoes and it was a really old i'm talking you know 20 30 year old fruit tree or bush that needed to be moved for whatever reason and with a big piece of equipment like a backhoe and a dump truck you could dig it up and then get it replanted and in the ground, and they've had success. They've they they took it, didn't kill them, and they started you know kept right on producing fruit. But it's easier when they're smaller, of course. But this is the time of year if you need to move anything like that, that you want to get it moved before it's starting to really leaf out. Now, you may see leaf buds. You might see the little buds starting to form, but you don't want anything to be leafing out and you really don't want anything to be blossoming when you're, with the bare roots especially, but if you're transplanting it, moving it or anything like that, you want to get all of that done before that happens this time of year. We're going to talk about tips for planting perennials. So this is if you're going to be putting in new perennials perennials. And then we're going to talk about kind of your yearly or your maintenance care because some of you may have put in perennials last year or even a few years ago and you're not quite sure if you're taking care of them quite right. I kind of go over the things that we do here and talk about that a little bit more in depth. When you are going to plant perennials, when you're going to put them into your home, it's really important that you make sure wherever you're planting them that there is enough space surrounding that area for years to come because that's the goal with our perennials is that they will stay there every single year. Especially talking with things about like blueberries and your fruit trees, especially, but things that are going to get quite a bit bigger as they grow. Not only room for their root system, but also that you have enough room surrounding that plant that as all those trees go, there's grow, there's still going to be enough space between them or anything that they're near to account for that growth room. Because in most cases, our perennials are going in their permanent spot. They're a permanent plant. So really just take your time deciding where to plant them. And you also, not just your fruit trees. So of course, anything that is fruit producing, I should say most things that are fruit producing, like your berries, they need a minimum of six hours of full sunlight a day in order to produce fruit for that fruit to get ripe. They actually do better if you can go upwards of eight or 10 hours, but at least six plus hours of full sun. If you're planting them this time of year, the sun is not really in its spot that it is in those summer months, right? It's usually gonna be higher in the sky. And then if you've got any buildings, of course, that can have a longer shadow reach. You're going to want to think about that. But the main thing is most of the trees when we're doing all of this planting of our other trees, things that you could have, they're not leafed out. So they're letting more sunlight through in the wintertime. But when they're all leafed out, so we had some big maples that when we first planted our fruit trees here on our homestead, we put first put the fruit trees in and we put them in this time of year when the maples did not have big leaves not realizing or thinking about that the shadow from those maples was going to completely be in effect when they were leafed out. And in the summertime, the fruit trees did not get enough sunlight. It was too much shade and it completely was pretty, they were pretty much in shade all day long, which means we had to move them the next year. And anytime you have to move a tree Especially a perennial that's supposed to be in its permanent spot, it's getting its root systems down. You really delay your fruit harvest by at least a year or two. It takes it a full season to really fully recover from moving it. So if you do have to transplant them and move them, just know that that's what's going to happen. You're probably going to knock a year off before you get your fruit production. Now, this is talking about younger, more immature trees. So your immature fruit trees, it's going to be a on average, seven years before they really start to produce fruit. Now, fruit, your berries is a little bit different. Your raspberry canes are going to be about um, the second year, second to third year, you're really going to get some good harvest coming on. And blueberry bushes are about three years, three to to four years. They will produce fruit earlier, but here's the deal. I'm going to give you a tip. You really want your plants when you're putting them in, especially perennials, to get a very established and healthy root system because that root system needs to sustain them for years and years to come. So you want to make sure they get a good root system in. When you're putting in blueberries, especially when you're planting those, the first year you may see some blossoms and those blossoms are what, when pollinated, are going to become a berry. But if it's only a one or two-year-old plant, remove those blossoms. That way, all of the energy, and you're only going to be getting a handful. I mean, maybe five or ten max, if that. But remove those blossoms because that way, the energy from the plant is going into establishing a good and strong root system instead of trying to, off of a smaller root system, put its energy into forming these berries. Do that for the first two years, and then the third year, go ahead and let them become your fruit because you've got an established root system. It's going to just give you a stronger plant, and it's also going to mean because the plant is stronger because it has a better root system, you're increasing your harvest yield for years to come and a healthier plant all the way around, which is really important with perennials. Because, you know, in your annual vegetable garden, if something gets a disease on it or a couple of the plants don't perform really well. Well, it's not such as big of a deal, right? Because you're going to be pulling them out and putting new ones in the next year. And you're going to be able to practice crop rotation in an annual vegetable garden. And that helps combat disease as well, which is why we never plant. If you've got a nightshade, you don't ever plant the next year another nightshade in its place. It's why we don't plant tomatoes in the same spot every year. You don't plant potatoes in the same spot every year and vice versa. If you had tomatoes in the ground, you don't put potatoes in the same spot the next year. But that's not the case with perennials, right? They're in the same spot every year. So we want the healthiest plant that we absolutely can get. And that is one way with your berries especially is to get them those root systems really well established. Another thing when you're thinking about where you're going to be putting your perennials are permanent plants is not just the sun. We want to, We want them to make sure that they're in that best possible too, that they're getting all their sunlight for the health of the plant and then the actual formation of the fruit and it ripening so that it tastes good. But we also need to look, because they are in those permanent spots, when we're talking perennial things like strawberries, oh, one of my favorite things come June. Oh my goodness, I love vine ripened local strawberries. Best thing. But also herbs. So a lot of our herbs are also perennials. You put them in once and then they continue producing and grow really crazy. So if it's something that spreads via a runner system, either above or under the ground, it can be really hard to contain those perennials in that area. If you don't want them spreading or you need them to stay in a specific area, you really probably should consider a container Or a raised bed would be a much better option than just plopping them in your flower garden. This is especially true when it comes to things like mint, oregano, thyme, anything that can creep and really crawl and sprawl. And those are really hard to eradicate, I will just tell you. Which is also good if you feel like, I don't have much of a green thumb. I tend to kill everything. You might want to start with some herbs because they can be harder to kill which you think sounds like a good thing unless you didn't plant them in the right spot to begin with. Hence my giving you some of this advice. And then they pretty much take over an entire flower bed and they grow really well actually in rocky areas. So if you don't have the best of soil, I have found that oregano tend to grow fairly well for me in the rockier area of my flower beds. Now, if you don't have a large yard or really an area that you can plant things in the ground, don't think that you can't grow perennials just because they're a permanent spot type of plant. My apartment homesteaders, I'm talking to you. Or if you're renting, you might not be in your permanent spot. This was the case with my husband and I. We weren't in our permanent homestead. And so we didn't really want to invest in fruit trees and permanent plants and landscaping because those aren't things that you can take with you, right? But I'm going to give you some tips so that one, if you are in your permanent spot, but you just don't have a lot of growing ground that can help you. So you can still grow some of your own food and have some food production right at your home. But also, if you are in that renting spot, these are some tips so that you can start accumulating your perennial plants now and kind of get a jump start so that if in the next two to three years you're gonna be moving to an area where you can plant, you're gonna have a bigger yard or, or maybe some acreage, that type of thing, you're gonna be ahead of the game a little. Let's talk about that because it's kind of exciting. You can do small and compact varieties of both fruit trees, so think dwarf or semi dwarf, and your fruit brushes are really excellent candidates for larger containers. And of course, your herbs. You can put any herb in a container. And most some of them I highly recommend you only put in a container. Like I said, mint, lemon balm, oregano, thyme. Those are all ones that I only have in containers, if at all possible. Not the case of oregano here at our homestead because I made that mistake. And it's just oregano gone wild in our in the backyard. But when you get those really young or immature fruit trees or fruit bushes, they're small enough and especially look for more compact varieties or like I said, the semi-dwarf or the dwarf varieties. But especially even if, even if they're not necessarily a really small variety, if you get them when they're only one year old, they're going to stay small for a couple of years at least. let talk pros and cons of buying these young perennial trees and bushes or the immature varieties. Pros are the younger perennial plants and bushes are usually cheaper than the more mature varieties because they're smaller means you don't have to pay as much so if it's on a budget if you're on a budget bare root and first year the root systems are smaller so these are ones that you can dig the hole if easily by hand I mean you don't need to have any equipment at all like I said if you're transplanting really mature trees that have been around for a long time or really big trees then that's when people will bring in backhoes or some other type of equipment um, to do that but when you're talking about the little small trees that we're you know getting at big box stores even or local nurseries they're bare root first years a shovel is the only thing you need the cons though because there are some cons of getting the younger perennial trees and bushes And the mainly is you have to wait until you're going to get any type of sizable harvest. As I said, with blueberries, it's about that third year before you're really going to start to get any type of fruit. Fruit trees, you're talking about seven years, you know, sometimes maybe a year earlier, but that's about the general rule of thumb. And the other con is you might not realize how large the plant is actually going to get and so if you're not planning or thinking ahead of that, you might put it in an area that is actually too small for it and then you have to later transplant it. Now, if your plan is to always transplant it because you know I'm not gonna be in this house or this spot in a couple of years, then you're just gonna put it in a really large container and be able to move it with you. And that's why you're buying the only the one year or really small plant to begin with. If you know you're not on your homestead yet, but you're gonna be in a few years, I would start with a few really young blueberry plants or even the semi-dwarf fruit trees in large pots. But also I do strawberries. So strawberries are perennial. Strawberries are small. And on average with a mature strawberry plant, which is going to be going into your second and third year on that strawberry plant, estimate that you'll get about a quarter berries per really healthy plant. But those spread via runners. So if you put them in a regular garden area, you need to know that they're going to spread. So keep that in mind. But they work really well. Lots of people do strawberries in containers or raised beds. They work really well in those. If you've already got some perennials on the homestead, like we do, and I actually am hoping to get an elderberry bush in this year. That's my goal of adding a new perennial in. But if you've already got them in, this is the time of year that we need to do our maintenance care as well. While they're still in their dormancy is when you want to do all of your pruning. Raspberries need to be pruned, blueberries need to be pruned, and your fruit trees need to be pruned. This helps you get a better harvest and production off of them. It also helps especially with fruit trees from any branches getting to be too big or extending too long, and then they break off. And if they break off, then you could cause damage to the tree especially the really older trees that haven't been maintained and then they lose a big branch. It puts a lot of exposure for then insects and pests or disease to enter into the tree. Pruning helps keep the tree from breaking off, right? That's our goal. It also helps you get more of a fruit harvest because that's what you're going to be pruning to and really pruning wise is really hard to do on a podcast. I, we really, I could give you a few tips um, when you're looking to prune, but it's that's more of a visual thing. You really need to watch somebody pruning in order to do a really good job pruning. But a couple of things that you'll want to do when it comes to pruning is obviously anything that's been broken or shows damage on the end from the winter months, we cut those off first. The other thing that we look for is any branches that are growing straight down. So downward branches we remove. The reason for that is the same thing. If they're growing downward when they get fruit on them, that's putting a lot of gravity and weight all going downwards and it's gonna it's the likelihood of it breaking off or damaging that branch is higher. So we remove those. Any branches that are intercrossing back on top of one another where they're going to be rubbing as that branch grows that we don't want that because where it rubs, it rubs away the bark and then it's susceptible to insects, disease, that type of thing. We remove those. And then we don't want them reaching up too high either because we want to be able to harvest off of them. So another advantage of pruning is you're going to be keeping it manageable so that you can work with it. But you also don't want them to be too thick once the leaves have come out because we need to have good air circulation, especially here in the Pacific Northwest where we tend to get really wet and humid. But also so that the sun can come down and get through to the fruit that's on the lower branches or the lower part of the canopy, Um, or in the center of the tree so that the sun gets on that and actually gets all of the fruit ripe because we like our ripe fruit. It tastes the best, right? That's the time of year that you're going to start pruning is you want to make sure you do it while the tree is still in its dormancy. And then when it comes to our perennials like our herbs, this is the time of year if you need to divide them. So if they have gotten too big for the container that they're in, or they're too big for the area that they're in, you divide them up which is where you just take a really sharp spade and you slice down and you take the root system out from that system and then you have more plants. So it's a really easy way to propagate and to get more of that plant. Or you can gift them to other people. A lot of times you'll see people even put in their yard free and have like a box of them sitting out or they'll post it online. Hey, if anybody wants, you know, extra of these plants, come and get them. I've got them. That's the time of the year that you want to do that and cut and prune back also some of your herbs too. That's a great time of year to prune back your rosemary, um, some of those more woody herbal shrubs, that type of thing. And then because our perennials are in the ground permanently in the springtime, when they start to come out of dormancy, that's when you also want to make sure that you are amending the soil. So you're giving it extra food. It could be compost. Um, For containers, I like to do liquid fertilizer. I use a fish fertilizer. But when they start to leaf out and they start to grow, then you start to fertilize for the summer months. You don't fertilize when they're in dormancy though uh, because you don't want them having extra food. You don't want them trying to grow at the wrong time of year. So we cut back all of our fertilizer in the winter months and don't use anything. Um, But with our blueberries and our raspberries, in the late winter, this time of year, we'll put down compost, any type of fertilizer we may be mixing in with the compost, and wood shavings and mulch, and we'll go ahead and do all of that for the year. So I like to get all of my pruning done, all of the compost and the mulching done, all at the same time, and then it's just it's done for the entire year. And that's one of the beauties of a, the perennials, because I really only have that work that load that's involved with them in the springtime once, and then they produce the food for me year after year after year. And so in the summertime, there's no weeding of my perennials. I don't have to weed my perennials. If you're looking to do more permaculture, that type of thing, your perennials work the best for that. In fact, we've got some episodes I'll link to in the show notes, or you can go to catch today's episode episode number 132. You can simply go to slash 132 and grab that. But you can also just hit that podcast button, and all of our episodes are listed there in order for you. And we'll put in today's show notes, I have got videos actually and blog posts that will walk you through step by step on how to prune and trellis your raspberry plants as well as how to prune your blueberry plants. So if those are true fruit things that you've got and you wanna make sure you're doing it the correct way or the, the way that we've always done that, that I've been shown is correct, I should say. So you wanna make sure that you're doing that. You wanna maybe learn some extra tips. I'm just a visual person. You can go and catch those tutorials as well. For our verse of the week, we are in Exodus chapter 23. And actually, the whole chapter of 23 is kind of where my thoughts are coming from. So if you want to go and spend some time there, but I'm going to give you a couple of verses and then a little bit of my thoughts from the whole chapter as a whole. We are in Exodus chapter 23, verse 29 through 31. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate for lack of attention and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and are numerous enough to take possession of the land. I will set your borders from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the river Euphrates, for I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand and you shall drive them out before you. And this is the amplified version, translation, I should say, of the Bible. And what I took from this, and as I said, the verses that preceded and the whole chapter of 23, but really the whole chapter is a promise that the Lord will drive our enemies out little by little as we grow enough to fill the area he has given us. Now, I realize that in the context of this specific verse, he's talking to the Israelites and he is specifically talking about driving out right. The Philistines and the Canaanites and the Hittites and all of that. But I think if we look at this nowadays, and on a more spiritual level than actual physical as he was referring to there that he's going to help us drive out our enemies and sometimes those enemies can be attitudes, sometimes they can be habits, sometimes they can be actions. Sometimes you know it feels like we're struggling with the same thing over and over again and sometimes the Lord totally delivers us instantaneously, instantaneously from things. But When you have those areas where it feels like it's just this little enemy and you're constantly battling against it or wanting it to go away or wishing to overcome it, I think that sometimes he drives it out little by little as we are growing in our faith and in our walk with him until we've grown enough to be able to fill that area completely with just him. And I think sometimes that's why it seems like it's such a progression and it doesn't happen instantly. And one of my other favorite parts from this chapter is the reminder that he sends his angel before us to protect and cover us, and we abhor evil and wordliness. Those were my main takeaways from reading the chapter. I've really been enjoying going through it. As I said, I've been doing a year in the Bible starting in January, so you're going to do that with me on the podcast, and it has little note areas. You read approximately three chapters a day, at least that's so far that's been the pace that they've set been really fun now that I'm still doing it. It's been two months. We're coming into March. Now I started in January, but it's kind of neat to go back and look at the sections that I've wrote each day and the insights. And so I'm really excited when it's went through a whole year to have all of these um, insights and just different thoughts in this journal to go back and refer to and areas to maybe dig in deeper and that type of thing. So if you've never done that before, if you've never done a journaling If you've never read through the Bible before, the entire Bible, a great way to do it is to do it like that. And it doesn't have to be that you started in January and that's when you start this. You can start it right now. You can start it anytime. Just a lot of people tend to start things like that in January. But you can do it anytime. But really, so if you've never read through all the way through the Bible, of course, I highly encourage that. This is my, I think my third or fourth time reading all the way through the Bible in consecutive, just starting and going all the way through. But the journaling part Just writing down some little snippets or takeaways that you get from a verse or that you feel that God has revealed to you um, for something specific in your life that you're dealing with, or sometimes it's just a note time of encouragement, but write those down. It's really neat to be able to go back and see how God has moved or things he's done or promises that he's delivered, things that you were dealing with. When you have them written down, you have this whole written accord of the things he's done in your life. And it's pretty cool. So if you've never done that, I highly recommend it. Thank you guys so much for spending your time with me here today. I hope that if you don't have any perennials worked into your landscape or into your food production gardening efforts, that you're going to put some in this year. And if you do, that you were able to glean some tips on how to make sure that you're caring for those to get your best or maximum harvest that we can. From what we've got on hand. Now, if learning how to use herbs more, because we've been talking about herbs, so if you're looking for some additional resources to grow your own herbs at home, both culinary and medicinal-wise with your herbs, and how to easily preserve them to stock both your pantry and your medicine chest, then you're going to want to check out handmadethebook.com, which is my newest book handmade the modern guide to made from scratch living so we have easy guides and recipes on herbs there's also the annual herb seed starting chart because there are some herbs that are annuals are going to act like annuals depending upon your growing season and so we've got a complete chart that shows you when to start those how many days it takes each of those to germinate when to plant them outdoors or when to direct so so all of that broken down for you plus tips on a lot of these herbs, like what kind? So for example, I'm reading to you from page 134 of Handmade and chamomile. There are two types of chamomile. There's Roman Roman chamomile, which is a perennial, and German chamomile, which is an annual. But it, the German chamomile tends to sell seed, so it acts as a perennial. German chamomile has more studies done on it and is generally used more overall than Roman chamomile. So we kind of dive into the herbs more specifically and giving you tips on knowing varieties to plant based upon how you want to use it, culinary, medicinally, and then both. And of course, then I've got tips on how to harvest the herbs, how to dry your own herbs. And what's really cool, I'm really big on charts. Like I like to be able to just go and easily see information laid out for me so I can grab what I need and get myself going. If you're like me, I have got charts in here that are going to show based alphabetically on each herb. And the most common herbs, but it's a pretty robust chart the culinary use as well as the medicinal use. So you can see how you can use these herbs. And some of them are dual purpose herbs, meaning we use them both culinary in our eating and then we also use them for medicinal properties. Other herbs do not have. Culinary purposes. In fact, some of them can be very dangerous if they are taken internally. So I've got all of that broken down in the chart as well, and you get access to all of that plus so much more in my book, Handmade. Again, if you haven't gotten the book and seen what's all included in there, go to handmadethebook.com and you'll get to see everything. If you've already got the book, but you didn't know that there were bonuses involved, you can go and still claim your bonuses. And all of the information you need for that is at handmadethebook.com. So I hope you have a fabulous day that you get your growing on. And I can't wait to be back here with you next week on the Pioneering Today podcast. We'll talk soon.